You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, the California Benefit Corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. All right, this is Lauren Alston Bridges, PhD student at William and Mary, and I've run into my old roommate Lisa Dretsky and fellow master's student at Illinois State University, where we went from about 2008-ish to 2010-ish. Or more. <laughs> or more. But we, we've just been catching up this conference and kind of talking about our life experiences and, and how our lives have diverged or kind of come back around full circle since, since graduate school. So I've, as you just heard, ended back up in a PhD program, which after Illinois State, I said I would never go back ever again, and and I did, and it's it's been a great, interesting journey. So I was just going to ask Lisa a couple questions and uh, about what she's done uh, after Illinois State and kind of how she ended up there in the first. So Lisa, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> So what actually brought you to Illinois State? Because you're from Wisconsin. Yes. Um, I went to undergrad at University of Evansville in Indiana. And my advisor encouraged me to apply to six different schools for grad school. And I kind of did my focus more on uh, historical archaeology, once I kind of more focus on that, um, and then maybe some museum studies programs, too, I looked at. I got into two grad schools. One was one of my top choices, University of Denver. Oh, I never knew that. This is new information coming yeah. out. I know. I was, I was wow. super stoked, and then I got accepted, you know, bouncing off the walls until I got um, the notice of how much it would cost. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It would have cost me probably over $200,000 by the time I was done with just two years of grad school. Oh, my gosh. And I knew as an archaeologist, you're not making that back. Right, yeah, you're, you're smart about this. Okay, yeah, cost-effectiveness of getting a master's degree and not being indebted for the rest of your life with unrealistic expectations yeah. of how much you're going to make in finding your pirate treasure. Yeah, and actually, it was, I got accepted to Illinois State, and I was still kind of disappointed in a way, because <laughs> it was, it, I mean, not disappointed, it was just, it wasn't my top choice, you know. And it actually, I talked to the person who is the field director for a dig I was helping out at in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, and he actually was at William & Mary and was doing that dig, and uh, he gave me the advice, don't put as much money into your master's program if it's just the name that you're trying to get. You want to get the experience as well, mm-hmm. and go with the place that might give you the most experience and you know, not put you into debt. So uh, Illinois State did offer a lot of really great experiences. They offered a graduate assistantship program, which would be great to you know put on my resume, which University of Denver wasn't going to give me anything like that. So it was kind of an easier decision once I talked to him. Yeah, and I remember we were working our graduate assistantships together and. We'd all take our little coffee breaks and then go back to inventory 
photography, data entry, Carl reorganizing what we had organized on the table. Um, but it was a neat experience. And then having our you know classes comped for that uh, like really helped with the expenses. Yes, of, of graduate school. Yeah. So some of the professors uh, I ended up working with Katie Sampek at uh, the SHA. This year we just had a great session for the great Dr. Elizabeth Scott and she was your advisor. She was. She was She was an amazing advisor. She was um, very stern but empathetic <laughs> at the same time and she just was there for any and all, anything that I needed support with whether she was interested in my life and, and my career mm-hmm. all together wrapped up. So that was, she was a great advisor. Yeah, I mean, to get through graduate school, you kind of have to take care of your personal life as well a little bit, you know, your your mental health. Um, I think our cohort was really essential for getting through some of the tougher, lofty theoretical classes and then getting through, you know, field schools and going on the journey of writing and and just uh, a lot of funny late night study sessions. at you know, local coffee houses made it a lot more of a pleasant experience. I'm not sure I could have gotten through it if I didn't have you guys to, I don't know, pretty much cry and laugh about it. Yeah, <laughs> simultaneously. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But we ended up studying kind of divergent topics. I went to Central America, and then you ended up studying some German materials. Yeah, it was kind of a... I knew I was going to go into... German side of the site at St. Genevieve. Yeah, because you're from good hearty German stock, right? Yeah, I grew up learning German and speaking it with my family, and then in undergrad, my undergrad thesis was focused on German archaeology, so I I kind of went in knowing that I was going to do something with that. Mm -hmm. What did your project end up as, I guess? And then you just revisited it this conference. So how was that experience, sort of going through that initial project, putting it together, and then this revisit years later? It was interesting. I just it brought back memories of the mad dash to actually finish the the grand master's thesis, and then I very much kind of hid it in a corner for a solid year or two without looking at it or really even thinking about it. I think I needed a little mental break. Mm-hmm. So coming back to it for this, um, the SHAs, it, it kind of brought back a lot of emotions and memories, and it also allowed me to kind of look at it in a different perspective, because I'm coming at it more of a museum perspective now, because um, I've learned so much with interpretation and museum studies, and I'm able to look at this and kind of ask some different questions about mm-hmm. myself and about the work. So you were looking at the Ziegler family? Ziegler site, yep. Okay, Ziegler site. So just give like a little bit of background, you know, like a little synopsis on what is the Ziegler site. But yeah, to give people an experience of what you can get out of a master's. <laughs> the Jeanine Ziegler Green Tree Tavern site is the full name. It's kind of long. It, it has gone from um, different hands. It started as a French home. They built it when they moved into St. Genevieve. A French family did, and when Genie family decided to sell the house, they sold it to a German family, and then the German family used it as their wholesale tobacco business and their home. So that's kind of the trade of hands. The German family owned it 
during the 19th century up until the early 20th century. And I kind of looked at it from analyzing everything I could from newspapers in the area to the archaeological record, pro-rate inventory, basically anything I could get my hands on. I wanted to see all the different perspectives and what those could tell me about it. I just realized it's snowing outside. Yeah, they followed me from Wisconsin, I'm sorry. Lisa, what did you do? You brought the snow down. I'm going to start singing Frozen songs to I know. Let it go. <laughs> oh man, this is uh, this is wild. Okay, <laughs> so we went to Texas to experience a snowstorm. Um, you can tell your family it's snowing here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, okay, back to the Zieglers. Um, yeah, but talking about identity and and what that means in a very material way, and especially in the 19th century, I know Katie Stampett got myself. I really interested in ideas of consumption and and what that means and the choices people were making and so the the talk was you know how is this family is living in a French house expressing their maybe German identity within the sort of French community so how did you see the ways that you know maybe more of that personality of a family yeah it was definitely a realization that I can't be looking at just ethnic markers or identity markers. That's not the way I wanted to go about this because it just seems too black and white. And when you're dealing with ethnicity and identity, it's it's not black and white at all. Um, everybody's individually different and flowing and moving. So I, I kind of tried to focus more on how the people were using what was around them. Not and, Obviously, they're in the time and age where things were actually getting mass-produced or getting produced elsewhere, and they had the choices. So I tried to focus more on, okay, what are they doing with these choices? What are they doing um, as individuals and showing their ethnicity in that way? And not necessarily like, I'm going to make this thing because that's what German ethnic people do. You know, and I tried to stay away from that. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so after... ISU went our separate ways. I went on a trip west. And so just say a little bit about what jobs you've done and those experiences that filled in the gaps between ISU 2010, 2017, Shaw. Oh, man. Uh, a lot. I worked retail for a while. I kind of got my head, well, I'm going to use North Face items on the field. Well, when I start, you know, with a side job at working at the North Face store. And then I ended up becoming a manager for North Face store, and I worked in downtown Chicago for a while, and I then moved up to Milwaukee, and then when I finished, finally finished my master's thesis, and after a year out, I finally was like, I can't work retail, I gotta do something with museums, and I quit my retail job, and I got an internship, an unpaid internship at the Shedd Aquarium, <laughs> which was worth it, and probably one of the best working environments I've ever worked in. They were great down there. They're, they wanted you to grow. They wanted you to learn. Not just me as an intern, but everybody that works at the Shedd Aquarium. Yeah. Um, and you said you looked at that because it was a really cool name. Yeah. And you were like, this would look super cool on a resume. Yes. I love that. <laughs> it might have been a little, little of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it gave me much more than just a name with my resume. It gave me a lot of experience um, in development evaluation 
And then after the Shedd Aquarium, I also worked a short little bit at a children's museum. Very short little bit. And then I ended up working at the Kenosha Public Museum and planned giving major gifts. They are also a very great place to work. They, they want to make sure that the museums grow in Kenosha and in basically all of southeastern Wisconsin. So it was great. And now I just took a new position two weeks ago as the executive director of the Kemper Center, which is a historical and cultural site in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Okay, so what would you say, biting the bullet, going to graduate school, getting into a little bit of debt, what was one of those skills that, um, you know, in all our couple years there, really helped you on this journey to this directorship? I guess it's that I can manage a lot more in my life than, you know, I think a lot of people think they can. You'd be surprised how many different things you can do, you can volunteer, you can have a full-time job you can have multiple part-time jobs you can you can manage it if you if you know it's gonna accumulate to something and that's kind of the perspective I have to take when going into my new job too because there's so many different aspects to it um, because it is a small nonprofit. I'm gonna have to have my hands on many different projects at all times but going into it with that perspective that I can manage it it will accumulate into something just take it day by day. Mm-hmm. The critical thinking, like how do I get from this point yeah. to this point? A lot for the project models and yeah. the lore in my office right <laughs> Yeah. So how's it being back at the, the SHAs? It's a, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I'm coming at it not as, you know, like I was like the excited undergrad that wanted to, I saw these big names and I'm like, oh, I have to see this person. I got, now it's kind of going back and catching up with people that I haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, I think it's a little bit more mellow but enjoyable right now. <laughs> Not as just like, I must impress this person to get into graduate school. <laughs> yeah, no, not as much, but I still want to impress people. There's still yeah. some names where I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's here. I get to listen to them talk. It's, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Catching up. Uh, we haven't caught up in a while. We're finding, you know, these connections with different talks and kind of these interests that we've continued to share over the years, and so that's been that's been neat. Thanks for talking to me. And anytime. <laughs> Thanks for letting me force you to talk to me. With my cold. For this conference, yes, everyone has a cold here, so everybody take care of yourselves, get sleep, uh, drink lots of water, don't stay out too late, networking. Yeah, you need to listen. To <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's all I have for now. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.